All right, we're here at the Potluck Conference 2013. I'm sitting here with Andrew Sheps. He's, uh, the credits go on and on, legendary producer, engineer, uh, Black Sabbath, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Metallica, Audio Slave. The list goes on, literally goes on and on. <laughs> it's all very embarrassing. <laughs> He's had uh, two really cool panels here. We just came out of the vocal recording and production panel. He was on with a few other producers and engineers. And he was also had a panel yesterday about bit rates and the difference in audio formats that you find online, high-res formats, MP3s and such, by himself. And uh, I have to say, he really holds a panel all by himself, and he is the only guy I know that can make bit rates funny. <laughs> so you want to maybe tell us a little bit about um, a little background info? Yeah, I mean, the, the presentation itself, I came up with the idea for it just because I'm an engineer and I make records and realized how little time, that we spend so much time making records and trying to make everything sound amazing and then we follow it through the mastering process and then we kind of wash our hands of it. But then it goes out into the world and people listen to it and so I started to pay a lot more attention to what it was that people who would buy the record would actually end up hearing and it turns out it's really different than what we finish up with because they're not buying CDs anymore. They're buying MP3s or AACs, depending on where they get their stuff from. Or they're not buying it and they're just streaming it. Or they're just listening on YouTube, things like that. So I wanted to kind of explore how different all of these services sounded um, and try to do it in a really agnostic way. You know, I'm not making the case that one is necessarily better than the other, but right. I wanted to give everybody perspective and enough information to actually compare it because it seems as though it's the kind of thing that everybody thinks they know but if you make them explain it it turns out they only sort of kind of know <laughs> so i wanted to find a way to actually explain it to where engineers would understand and get it but also my mom would understand who has never made a record in her life but she loves listening to music so right, right. that was the impetus for the panel and i first gave the talk um just over a year ago, I think, at a Naris event. And uh, Naris and the Grammys had been really cool about kind of sponsoring this talk because it ties into their Quality Sound Matters campaign, which is all about audio quality and what it means to the ability for a consumer to connect emotionally with an artist. So I've given the talk, I think this was the ninth time, oh, tenth okay. time, something like that. I've done it kind of all over the country now. And yeah. it's really cool. So people seem to respond to it, but also really come away, not necessarily having fully formed an opinion about what they like or dislike about certain types of files, but to really understand that they are all different and that some of them can be made to sound really good and mm -hmm. how to prepare things properly and stuff like that. So it was just a way of kind of giving context and common information to everybody to understand what was going on because most people don't know what goes on once they say the record's done. Yeah, that's one of the things that you were mentioning yesterday, like the the consumer isn't necessarily just isn't fluent in this sort of thing. So like you were saying, like, well, 128 is obviously more than 44.1. So obviously 128 uh, MP3 is better than 44.1. Yeah. And it's 128,000 watts <laughs> as opposed yeah. to 44,000 watts. So yeah, yeah it's, it's trying to fill in all the little blanks in the, the information that we all kind of know. Yeah, exactly. Um, so like the difference between like the streaming on Spotify and also like you were saying that it, nothing really trumps convenience. So like 
isn't it always going to be like I, everybody here, especially like they want high fidelity audio, but a lot of people, even though there are studies like you told that that most people prefer in a double blind test will prefer high quality audio. But then at the end of the day, it's always like, well, I'm just going to listen to it on the way to work on my phone, right? Right. So really what this means is we have to find ways to deliver high quality audio to people's phones. Yeah. And there are some technologies that can do it. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, bandwidth is cheap and storage is cheap. Yep. And so I think that we're really getting to the point where the next step will be high quality audio, but delivered in the convenient way that people want. Yeah. And like uh, the Aura Stream service, for mm -hmm. instance takes note of your bandwidth and gives right. you the most amount that you exactly. can Exactly. Instead of deciding beforehand, okay, people will listen to the service mostly on cell phones, so we'll limit the bandwidth yeah. to this. The bandwidth is limited by your connection. So if you're in a bad spot, then you'll get much lower bitrate audio. But if you're on Wi-Fi at home, you can get up to 192, 24 uncompressed mm -hmm pristine audio but streaming right. and so yeah it's an awesome look into i hope what's coming mm -hmm. and then it was a two-sided panel so the panel was in here in the in the hall uh and then we had the casita suites yesterday uh, last night and we got to kind of listen to differences between all these formats uh we we listened to what regina specter Nora jones roundabout by yes yeah. uh and uh the difference between the YouTube quality and then to like the high res quality is just amazing, just back to back. But the point again of the listening is to, it's the same sort of thing where I deliver all this technical knowledge with numbers and charts and you know, mm -hmm. but it's to give you context. And then again, we all think we know what high quality audio sounds like and we think we know what low quality audio sounds like, but not very many people will sit in a room and get together a set of files that are lots of different versions of the exact same master and played back in a way where you know you're not compromising the playback of the files with sample rate conversion and things like that. So the talk is a setup to kind of get your knowledge base up to a certain level and then the listening is a way to actually compare things that it takes a lot of time to get the files together and have a playback system where you can just sit and do it. So it's just an opportunity and hopefully everybody who had a listen yesterday is now at least aware of it. And you know, they could come out of there and say, eh, I hear a little bit of a difference, but I don't care. Or you might really care, or at least start looking for a way to kind of up your game in terms of what you've got to listen to music to at home and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Like the Nora Jones tracks, they, um, the lower quality versions were you know, a little harsher in the, in, the, in the highs and such, and then the low end was much better in the high, high resolution. And, but at the end of the day, you're just like, well, they're both great songs, or they're the same song, obviously, but they're both amazing songs. So it's, it, it is kind of the trade-off between, like you were saying, convenience and, yeah. and quality. Yeah. But all right, on a different note, we were talking a lot about vocal recording and production. And I wanted to have you maybe elaborate just a little bit on the mic selection and, and such when you're doing vocals, especially you were talking about the Red Hot Chili Peppers, right. and that it's never going to sound like a Red Hot Chili Peppers record until you put that one mic up. Well, I mean, one thing you do when you're trying to find the right microphone for a vocalist is you try lots of different microphones. And in isolation, something can sound amazing. Mm -hmm. But especially for someone like Anthony and the Chili Peppers or any established band, there's 
a sound you're used to. And the SM7, while you know, it's a $300 microphone or whatever it is, that just sounds like a Chili Peppers record. And I think when you're choosing a microphone, it's really easy to solo up the vocal because you've got the vocalist standing in front of the microphone. You just have them saying into that one and that one and that one and like, okay, that one sounds better. But it's not necessarily what will work best with the track either. Sometimes a slightly lower fidelity microphone will actually blend in a lot better with distorted guitars or you know you're going to have lots and lots of background vocal tracks so you don't want every vocal track to be full bandwidth and huge you actually want lo-fi like old ribbon mics or a bullet mic or something like that because you can stack a hundred of them and they only take up that much space so it's really important to know what the context is going to be yeah so that would kind of that would kind of answer my question like what's a really good way to make the vocal sit in the mix is to take context of the whole situation absolutely yeah yeah and then one of the other things you were talking about i I never actually heard about this before was the you know having the three compressors on at different times uh during the song automating it to make kind of the vocal more dynamic more vibrant Mm -hmm. you want to elaborate a little bit on that yeah i mean usually when you mix a vocal you'll like oh, the vocal sounds great, I'll EQ it, and I'll put a compressor on it. Mm -hmm. And my mixing methodology, not just for vocals, but kind of for everything, is every time I put a compressor directly on something, I start to lose something about the uncompressed Mm. version of it. So I've started using lots and lots of parallel compression. So basically, I have three copies of the vocal, and it's just done with sends, like you would send to a reverb, but I send to compressors instead. So I'll have the completely uncompressed vocal, which, let's say, the verse is very sparse and they're singing quietly. Sometimes that's all you need. Mm-hmm. And uncompressed, it'll be very emotional, and you hear all of the nuance in the performance. And then the band kicks in, and all of a sudden the uncompressed vocal doesn't really keep up anymore. So rather than having just a compressed version... I then will have one really aggressive compressor and one not so aggressive compressor and I can blend the uncompressed vocal with those two compressed versions and kind of get this very wide spectrum of compressed sounding vocal to uncompressed sounding vocal and aggressive vocal versus laid back vocal and I can change it all the time and I'm not kind of stuck with, hey, here's my vocal sound, but it doesn't really work all the time. Mm And I can just really play with it dynamically throughout the course of a mix. Ah, that's a, that's really cool. It's something everybody should maybe try. Uh, out. Uh, try it out. I mean, yeah. it may not work for you. you right, know, right, right. But it's definitely worth checking out. Uh, awesome. Well, that's it for uh, just a small extra interview. I'm glad that you I could uh, drag you backstage here for a little Thanks more Q and A. Potluck Con 2013. Everybody should definitely come next year and have a great time with everybody here.